0: starts it. Daddy, 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 daddy. look, we're we're almost done, we'll take care of it. Daddy, 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 not necessarily socially aware. Not being able sometimes to read what we can read. To understand and process every thought that you or I could. Here's something a child has. Persistent pursuit. They will not let up. Have you ever found that one game that a little child likes? You'll bounce it on the knee. Here we go. Whoa, 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 horsey and ride. And what's the response? Again, again. Again. Well, okay, this leg. Again. Again. Incessant, relentless pursuit. And Jesus says, hey, come stand with me. And the child comes over, okay, and stands with Jesus. And he says, unless you become more like these children... You can't understand the kingdom. In fact, the greatest... Right here. You suppose as that interaction is kind of finishing up, Jesus does one of these deals. Again, children who want to go and be around an adult, they typically are the kinds of adults who are willing to sing, even when they don't have a good voice, to... when it's not necessarily the right, uh, you know, moment. Does Jesus give him a little one of these in the ribs? <coughs> and you know, little Johnny has had the talking to. Do not misbehave. You? I'm. <coughs> well, he. He. He didn't. Too. The child reacts. Wouldn't you expect? Would would it be possible? As Jesus says, unless we become more like children, that Jesus breaks from his teaching voice with a very clear theology, and he begins to play like a child. Jesus, there in is what you know. How Jesus would be dressed? It'd be the white robe and the purple beauty pageant sash. That would appears to be what Jesus usually was dressed in little we'll like this, and the little guy finally gives in. A-ink. Boom, and then Jesus starts to jog away, right? And if you jog, have you noticed this? You jog just the right speed so the child cannot quite catch you, but not so fast that the child gives up. That is really a pretty solid metaphor for what it feels like in a relationship with Jesus. Because we'd love to just tackle him to the ground, kind of download him, understand everything, but he's never fully capturable. There's always something more. And as he jogs on, can you imagine in that particular moment as the little guy is running after him? And I don't know about you, but I've noticed in my camp experiences that a child running after an adult kind of creates a little dog whistle situation where all the other children, oh, they're running out. Okay, here and they Come out of the woodwork. and whoa, whoa, whoa. And there they go. Maybe Jesus does not notice the one really fast kid coming out from the other side. The grabs onto his white robe and is now sledding behind Jesus and it slows him just enough that the other children can catch up and dive onto the back of Jesus, pulling him to the ground, tickling, laughing, rolling. I've often wondered how, uh, how, how regularly Jesus came home with grass stains on his white robe. And maybe... He's been a little too active for his purple sash. Children want to be with Jesus. And maybe that's at the heart of who we are called to be in Matthew 18. Relentless pursuers when we understand and when we don't. Daddy, 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 daddy. My wife is here, and I don't typically try to do anything that would embarrass her, but then I am me, so that kind of blows that a little bit. I was thinking about this whole idea, and and my relationship with my wife, it was in the year of our Lord, 1986. on the campus of Andrews University, and i we knew of each other, we'd been both at this university, this was into our third year, different things had been going on, but somehow this particular fall, I really started to notice her. And um, we ended up on the exact same co-ed flag football team, because she's a good athlete, and, and uh, my football team was doing great, and the the phys ed instructor who was in charge of the co-ed league really wanted a stacked team, so cherry picked from my team and all the most athletic young ladies, and so here we were. And so we were getting to know each other a little bit through that. One particular evening, passing the football field on the way to the cafeteria, some of my friends were in a game, I stopped there, and Carolyn was there as well. Some of you... If there's anybody familiar with what the weather can be like in the fall at Andrews University in Berrien Springs, Michigan, it can turn chilly, would we'll you say. There I was with a coat on. She'd been coming from somewhere else where during the sunny part of the day she hadn't needed a coat. And I noticed her kind of shivering just a little bit, and I had a coat. And so, you know, shiverless, shiverless, shiverless guy that I am and always kind of in my mind thinking about my mom showing up and what she would say. I turned around and I said, wait, wait, do, are you cold? Would you, like, would you like my coat? And she said, sure. And I don't know what came over me because I'm, I'm a pretty timid kind of person with regard to this kind of situation, but I was just joking and I just kind of opened my coat. I said, "What?" Well, okay. A pivotal moment. This is a because, see, that's a. <laughs> the, I, I'm, just seriously, I wouldn't do that to too many people. And in fact, for many people, I would zip tight, right? But in this situation, I kind of, I don't know what came over me, and I did it. And she then said, sure, and started to move toward me. <laughs> moved right in to my shoulder. And then I had to keep her warm. (sighs) Ha! You see, I had interest in her, but I I really wasn't sure what to even do about it. And in that moment, just this weird weird risk that I took, I'm really quite surprised I did it, and I leaned, just even figuratively leaned toward Her. And she responded by leaning back toward me. And by the way, for those of you unfamiliar with love, this began a chase. Right? Some of us, yet unmarried, don't maybe know what those of us who are married know. And that is that when you get married, the wedding day happens. That's not a sign that you now have mastered all there is to know about this other person. It's not like when she said yes and, and, and then we ended up that nine months later at an altar we were married and it said, I do. It wasn't me saying in response then, David. Do you know everything about this woman? I do. Mm. Oh my. This was a starting gun, not a finish line. And here's the truth that you and I probably know about relationships. It's this. I have come to grips with the fact I am never fully going to understand my life. Oh, the thing that happens is, I I mean, yeah, okay, now I know, and I predict, yep, and it happened, and I predict, yep, and it happened, and I predict, no, it didn't happen that way. Why is that? And by the way, I'm coming to grips with the fact that I am ever-changing also. You see, our successful marriage will never be based on us knowing the facts about each other. It will be based on our continually leaning toward each other. Opening up for each other. Pursuit of one another. And I want to recommend to you, this is a primal factor, an elemental ingredient in our relationship with God. He says, you will be okay if you keep leaning toward me. When you're in doubt, when you've suffered, when you feel shame, when you can't kick that habit, just lean toward me. He will say, in fact, lean not on your understanding. Instead, trust in me. So as we close, I want to take you to an extraordinarily... You're probably going to predict... Oh, I can feel it. We're going to end up in Ecclesiastes. Right? You, no? Yes. yes. Good. You found it. You felt it. Oh, here comes Ecclesiastes. This is... Epi- well, Ecclesiastes is a pretty weird book. Apparently written by Solomon, smartest man that ever lived, and it is, in essence, it feels like the diary of a person who has decided there's nothing to live for. I mean, verse, verse 2 of chapter 1 says this: everything, everything is meaningless. Foolishness, you're a ridiculous person if you think you can make sense out of anything that happens. And it's not just verse 2. He will say it repeatedly. Here's this wise man. He keeps looking around. He keeps trying to figure out what's going on in the 17th verse. He will say, I I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But here's what I learned. That's all like chasing after the wind. You can't really understand anything. We typically preach from this book of the Bible. Hey, everyone, welcome to church. God is good, and we can't understand. Have a good day. It goes on. In chapter 9, verse 11, he will write this. You know the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry. The skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And then, he says and those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. In fact, it's all decided by chance. Welcome to the raffle. And we're going to be shooting dice a little later and just see how our spirituality goes. This guy seems depressed. The theme of his writing is this is senseless. It's all senseless. Why? Why? hey, maybe you're a good friend of Solomon and you kind of sidle up next to him and you say, hey man, just, I mean, let's talk this out. It seems like you're on the edge here. In fact, can we remove sharp things from your place? It'd be nice. What is is going on? about this time in the first chapter, verse 11, or or maybe it's in the second chapter, he says, well, here's the deal. We're all going to die. And not only that, whether you're good or bad, people will forget about you at the same pace. Yeah, that, that would be even a worse church service experience. You know, we sing songs of the goodness of God, the goodness of God. And by the way, nothing makes sense and we're all going to die. <laughs> Look around. Yeah, them too. And by the way, if you die first, they're just going to forget about you. And he'll go on to essentially suggest, I'm not sure if anything happens after we die either. This is just nonsense. It's madness. Weird book. And you might be thinking, yeah, yeah Dave. Weird book to be bringing up right now. He gets done in the 12th chapter. He says this. So let me, let me give you some advice. You've weathered all of my comments about how ridiculous it is to even try, and the fact that we're all going to die, and that this. Okay, here's here's my advice. First of all, be careful about studying too much because books are endless and it's just going to wear you out. That's also a weird intro to say a study session. But here's my advice. I've looked at the whole story. He says that's the whole story and here's my final conclusion what would you expect him to say next give up go agnostic turn in your bible let it go and move away that's not what he says it's the weirdest the weirdest conclusion to having gone through the catharsis of his journal is the next verse where he says this fear God Here's the conclusion. I'm giving you my recommendation, so here it is. Fear God and obey his commandments. Fear God, another way to say, trust God. Hey, look. You're going to have doubts. You're going to have confusion. You're going to feel shame. You're going to have difficulties. And my recommendation, smartest guy in the world, after having said, I I really, I was hoping to end this book by being able to say, okay, so here it is. This is the Cliff Notes version of what you need to know. Well, here's what I've got. Trust God anyway. Lean into him and pursue him. Don't dissuade you from a relationship. Find the solid rock of God, of Jesus. Hey, here's what I sense. Just by the fact that you are here today, here's what I would understand. You've got something in your heart that is hungry. You've got something in your life that responds to this notion, and that's all Jesus needs to come in look we can sort it out and it's not that we're saying hey we're cheering for confusion we're cheering for doubt no dig deep and believe hard but start it by being willing to step up when he calls you a child come stand next to me as Revelation would say I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking. Open up. Share your coat. Lean in. We probably got tired of singing this verse. But it's a good one to close on. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, oh God. That sentiment is all it takes for Jesus to save you. I long for you. I long for you. I want you in my life, and I'm not sure I understand. I understand some things, but then again, I'm wrong about stuff. could be wrong about that. I am leaning toward you. I am hungry for you. Pivotal in the structure of our faith is that we build on the rock of Jesus Christ. We commit to full-on childlike pursuit of Him. I was once in a building much larger than this with a lot more people, about 3,000 individuals were sitting listening to a guy named Brennan Manning as he closed a talk by leading us through kind of a thought exercise and it was kind of confusing but it was, it was pretty powerful at the end of it he made a little call and there was something interesting about it that's always stuck with me because somewhere along the way he talked about our having seen Jesus in our conversation and responding if you want to respond, stand up I stood up not the only one who stood up, but there were a lot of people who didn't stand up. And then he did the thing that stuck with me. He said, look, if you felt the urge to stand up and didn't, Jesus felt that. And he came here for you. And then he said, just wanted to want to stand up. Oh, that's a crack in the door, and it's all Jesus needs to come into where you are. I know some of us, we've been journeying with Jesus for a long time, and some of us have a lot of this figured out, at least we think we do. Some of us stand up on stages and proclaim the gospel. And we walk with Jesus by the way, just standing on a stage doesn't mean you're walking with Jesus. Some of us are here because of habit. Some of us are here because of friends. Some of us are here because of coffee. Good music. You know what Jesus says to that if that's the only reason you came? He says, Oh, I'm so glad they were serving coffee then because it gave me an opportunity to ask, Would you come stand with me? Will you open the door for me? Are you willing to respond to my openness to you with an openness to me? All I need is for you to feel the jolt of hope in your heart. I don't need you to stand, he says. I just need a little pulse. And I will come. So let's pray about it. Wherever you find yourself. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for what's going on here in Portland. Thank you for the love of friends. Thank you for coffee and great music and our children. And those adults who stood in the front row and acted out the songs unashamed. Thank you for giving us the kinds of friends who would come here today even when I didn't feel like coming. Thank you. Thank you for so embedding yourself in Jesus, in the scriptures. I can go nowhere and not have the opportunity to hear his voice, to see his face, to meet up with him, Lord, for each one of us, those of us who have traveled far in our journey with you, those of us who maybe never even had done so. Lord God, feel us now as we lean to you. In our hearts, whether we could ever get our legs to do it or not, in our hearts, feel us lean. And Lord God, in the spirit of of Jesus come in come in and walk Lord we pray for the removal of confusion but more than that we pray for a sense of your walking with us even when we are confused and we will praise your name we will lift you high we will shout Hosanna in confusion or certainty knowing that it is about our leaning into Jesus. Amen.